Hello, I'm Matt Baum, and welcome to The Sewers of Paris. We're on a podcast search for the entertainment that changed the lives of queer people. On tonight's episode, interview with the vampire, Nine Inch Nails, Tori Amos, and Sandman. Over on YouTube, I just released a new video about the long queer history of vampire lore, from Victorian novels about killer lesbians and undead semen, to early motion pictures, and then the groundbreaking novel Interview with the Vampire in the 1970s. A new adaptation of Interview just premiered on AMC this week, and so in honor of that, we're diving into the Sewers archives to revisit my 2015 interview with Levi Hastings. Levi is an illustrator who grew up feeling like a misfit in his tiny religious Idaho town. He could tell he was an outsider, and so he decided to lean into it, embracing anything dark and sinister and brooding. It felt good to freak the world out with his talk of vampires and Marilyn Manson, but it was also a little lonely. He knew there were other people just like him out there in the world, and he just wasn't sure where to find them until he embarked on an eye-opening road trip. We'll have that conversation in a minute. First, in case you haven't heard, I've got a book coming out next year about queer sitcoms. It's called Hi Honey, I'm Homo, and pre-orders are now open. Head over to GaySitcoms.com to get all the details. Also, big thanks to everybody who supports the Sewers of Paris on Patreon. Patrons get hours of exclusive bonus videos about pop culture history, stickers and stuff in the mail, and shoutouts and YouTube videos. Now, here's my 2015 conversation with Levi. Hello and welcome to the Sewers of Paris. I'm talking to illustrator-artist Levi Hastings. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. So what's the entertainment that changed your life? From an adolescent uh, place, it was Interview with a Vampire. That we must be powerful, beautiful, and without regret. And you can teach me this? Yes. To be without regret? Yes. Then what a pair we could make. But what if it's a lesson I don't care to learn? What do you mean? What if all I have is my suffering? That was sort of my introduction to sort of adult fiction and um, horror and um, kind of my first experience of reading about two male characters in a long-term relationship. Yeah, so describe, you know, everybody knows Interview with the Vampire is about a vampire. Sure. What else is it about? Like, what, what, what is it? Well, so it is a story of um, essentially uh, Louis and Lestat, who are two vampires, and they are, I believe, uh, 18th century New Orleans, maybe early 19th century. Um, it's puffy it, shirt New Orleans. Totally. Is, puffy so. shirt New Orleans, sort of, uh, you know, early America, pre-Civil War. Um, so, and it's sort of, yeah, just dripping with all of the trappings of that period of time, which is also attractive to me. Um, but I was turned on to it when I, you know, the movie was coming out and it was this very sort of exciting thing that people were talking about. And somehow, um, I was, you know, an adolescent, but I got a hold of the book mm-hmm. and, uh, devoured it in like a week and was suddenly obsessed with it. And, and they're two, so they're two vampires, but they're not like, um, oh, hey, chummy vampire friend. Oh, how's it going? Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, it was very different than any other vampire story you'd heard. Like yeah. they, they weren't, they weren't, uh, purely predatory and they weren't monsters they were like they were the main characters and they were the ones telling the story and um and so that the perspective was very interesting and the main sort of conflict in the book is about the relationship between the two of them and their like very close companionship yeah they're they're really like intensely in a relationship like yeah. there's, there's very like, little there's, ambiguity right but you know there, there's sort of it's it's sort of written in this way that there's all of this like it's not overtly sexual but it's not very subtextual either. Like right. it's, it's kind of right all there on the page and their obsession with each other. And, you know, and then they're like raising a child together mm-hmm. and it's just this, like, 
it, it's basically a gay couple with a kid and how they're right. fighting all the time and how one of them ultimately wants to leave. And so as reading it as an adolescent, I didn't quite pick up on the subtext, but I knew I loved it. I just wanted you, more of it. What was it that you, that drew you to it as a gay kid who didn't know he was gay yet and kind of, um, looking for that kind of story, something that I didn't know I was looking for. But then when I found it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. It just really resonated with me. And, mm-hmm. um, and that was definitely a time when I was sort of starting to explore, you know, darker themes and, you know, adolescence is so dark and fraught and dramatic <laughs> right. anyway. Like, um, Oh my life. I'm 13. No yeah, one's ever it, suffered. It, like, it okay. was just, it was just pushing all the buttons mm-hmm. in all the right ways. And, um, and, you know, and the, the books, uh, let's be honest, are not particularly well written. Like as an adult, I don't think they're good books. It's not like, you know, they're not going to pop up in, in, in great Western literature courses. No, but but I think it's like just a really interesting sort of pop pulp fiction for... I was reading it 13, maybe, and mm-hmm. I was, you know, it was written at my level, essentially. Mm-hmm. It was sort of my version of YA fiction. Did um, you identify more with one of the vampires or the other? The storyteller in the first one is Louis, who is kind of the... He's your gateway. He's the one who's sort of being made. And I related to him as sort of the, he was a little more vulnerable, a little more sensitive, and he's being sort of, you know, lured into this world and and shown the way by Lestat, who's obviously the more charismatic, Mm -hmm. exotic, troublemaker kind of rogue. So I I definitely identified with the Louis character because I was this sort of shy, nerdy kid who felt like, I I was absolutely attracted to that kind of roguish, Mm. charismatic, confident, person that I didn't I wanted to be but knew I wasn't at that point so I want someone to show me the world yeah yeah that was a a huge fantasy of like I want somebody to sweep me away take me off to this other world reveal to me that life is not what it actually seems and everything to this point has been an illusion and show me this whole new way of living that uh, is far beyond anything I've known so far which must have been awfully attractive to a kid. Well, so you were not growing up in a particularly enchanting environment. No, no. I was growing up in Idaho, southern Idaho. Ah, uh, the magic of southern the Idaho. The magic of southern <laughs> yes. Idaho. It was, uh, yeah, beautiful. it's a beautiful area. It's, it's farm country, mountains. It's gorgeous. But it's also uh, deep, deep Mormon country, very religious, conservative. Um, were you being raised religious? I was not being raised particularly religious until... Um, I was around seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Um, when I was in my early years, my, I was around a lot of religious people, but my family in particular weren't overtly religious. It was mm-hmm. sort of, there was just sort of a cultural conservatism, but it wasn't uh, specifically religious. We were one of the few families in town that weren't Mormon. Um, and that sort of always had me a bit at, at a bit of isolation mm-hmm. um, just because all my other friends were Mormon and there's just, there's a, it's very clicky and you know, they don't really associate a lot with people that aren't, or if they do, they're always trying to get you to, why aren't you joining? Why aren't you Mormon? What's wrong with you? And then my, my dad remarried, uh, my parents were divorced when I was really young and then my dad remarried and my stepmother got really kind of born again and got us into sort of more of an evangelical Bible church. Okay. I did kind of get into that um, because it was much more got into like the youth group thing. And it was, there was, I find at that point I did find that sort of camaraderie with those other people. Cause it was, you know, it was sort of a smaller bubble inside a larger bubble. And mm-hmm. um, you know, those were all the other non-Mormon people in the town that we didn't know before. And now suddenly there's this little pocket of 
semi like-minded people. So, you know, as a kid, I kind of, yeah, I, I really got into it for that reason. Cause suddenly I have all these new friends and all these activities and summer camp and all that. And, um, but yeah, it didn't last too long before I started to realize, yeah, this stuff isn't really feeling right. You but know. these vampires. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, particularly with that, you know, because at that point it was like, I'm realizing I'm having these urges, but I don't really know what to do with them. And everything I'm being told is that these things are wrong. I'm wrong. You're a sinner if you think. And, you know, I mean, at this point, it's like you're a sinner if you think anything. But mm-hmm. um, particularly if you think boys are cute, like that's the worst. Um, but at this point, I'm kind of like, you know, breaking out of that and trying to rebel in my own small way. And that was like, like books were kind of my main way of escaping and doing that. So, so finding these books was like a huge, like treasure trove of sort of mental and emotional escape. Um, So you're there, you're like this young preteen and you're going, you're devouring all the Anne Rice books. Yeah. Like those are, those are a bit dark. So did you like go into a a dark phase? Yeah, it, it did. It kind of opened up my, um, my interest in horror and uh, I got really from Anne Rice. I got really into Stephen King and Clive Barker, mm-hmm. um, who was even more queer and bizarre and weird. Um, you know, I'm not super familiar with him. I haven't been since I was an adult. And honestly, like all of these writers, I really have not revisited as an adult, but as, as a teenager preteen, it was like, it felt very grown up. Like you knew you weren't supposed to be reading this until you were older. Cause they were grown up books and for some reason, I don't know why my parents allowed me to read these, but I don't think they quite understood. I don't think they were, once the Stephen King and stuff came around, they were like, yeah, I don't know about that, but they kind of <laughs> left me alone. So they didn't, they didn't monitor that too closely. But, um, I feel like the, I think the vampire books were completely, uh, off their radar. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they had any idea what I was reading because they certainly weren't reading them. Did you have any, like any outward like I don't know? Did you start dressing in a more gothy sort of way? I so I went to uh, I I left my um, my dad when I was um, I guess I was fourteen. I, I moved in with my mom um, and she lived in a city a little further away um, called Pocatello, and so she was going back to school. So it was a university town by Idaho standards. It was like the big city, mm-hmm. and it was this sort of you know, wonderful intellectual stronghold in the (laughs) middle of Southern Idaho. And so I wanted to move with her because at this point I knew I was, I wasn't relating to any of the people where I lived. I was not a jock. I was not, you know, a Mormon. Mm -hmm. I had no place to be. There there was no place for me. And I knew that. And I was kind of going crazy because I just didn't, um, were you really lonely? It was, I was very lonely. Like I didn't have, yeah, there just weren't a lot of people around that I could relate to. And, um, so was it like books or like, how did you fill your time? Did you, did you have a yeah, played with? Uh, books were kind of my big, uh, big escape. I was drawing all the time. I've always drawn, um, you know, making artwork. And, uh, I, I honestly, I related much more to adults and I was, my mom's side of the family is much more liberal and progressive. And, um, they were bringing a lot of interesting people into my life. So I was much more interested in hanging out with them and their friends. And obviously, you know, I'm sure I was that annoying adolescent kid at the dinner table who was like asking too many questions and driving the adults crazy. But to me, I I just wanted to grow up and I wanted to get the hell out of there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
these kids suck. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, I was just like, I can't stand the people around me who are my age. <laughs> Uh, so I, so my way of escaping was to move to, uh, Pocatello with my mom, the big city, the big city. It was a bit of an issue with, you know, for a while, but they, we all kind of worked it out and everybody, you know, it was like, who do you live with? Yeah. There was, it was a huge, huge conflict for a year where it was like, you know, my mom was into witchcraft and she was going to lead me into this life of sin and, but, oh, that they were accusing her. She wasn't actually, no, 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 (laughs) not at all. I mean, she got a little, she's a little woo woo and she got into like crystals and shit, but like, really? you know, that, you know, it's just like, eh, it's pretty innocent new agey shit. And sure. They were like, oh my God, she's leading you to the devil. You're not like dancing around in a coven at midnight. No, no. They <laughs> thought, they, they thought that's what I was going to do. And I kind of, you know, over a period of time I had to convince them that was not going to happen. Boy, but they, they were basically playing tug of war with you. Then. They were, yeah, I was absolutely being a sort of a piece and you know, it was a battle between my parents and you know. As an adult, looking back, I kind of understand what how that would have been very painful for them. Um, but, you know, as a 12, 13-year-old kid, like, I just needed to get out. And I think it was, I finally had to convince my, my dad and my stepmom that, like, I was miserable. And mm. I could not live there anymore. And it was, and, and I do think about it a lot still. I'm like, if I had stayed there, I would have been a horrible person. I just would have, you know, I just feel like I would have turned into a really terrible, miserable person. So I'm glad I got the hell out and we worked it out. But once I moved in with my mom, I was able to kind of uh, reinvent myself a little bit. And, you know, new town, new people. I was starting from scratch and I felt like I could kind of define myself in a completely different way. So who was the new Levi? So I got, I was, I was really digging into this like dark horror goth thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, I kind of doubled down on all of that and you know, this was the mid nineties. So it was a lot of perfect time for, you know, it was a lot of Tori Amos and nine inch nails. And what was What was the Tori Amos around that time? It was, so I discovered Tori at the, under the pink phase. And, um, and then I went back into, you know, little earthquakes and, and again, she was another one who like, once I discovered her, it was like, where has this been all my life? And granted, like she hadn't been out that long, but it was like, this is absolutely what I need right now. Mm. And then, you know, there was the boys for Paley album and that was like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm all in. So it just, it, it really kind of reinforced all of those things that I was sort of exploring anyway. What did you hear when you listened to her? Why were you so like, this is my story? Because she was, she had that, all of that religious uh, baggage as well. And I was sort of escaping all of that. And she was really, much of her work, I think at that point was very um, into uh, defying that, exploring it, um, wrestling with the conflict of kind of having been raised in this world and how do you escape it or how do you reconcile it with how you actually feel? Um, all of the sort of Satan imagery and all of the sort of, she had, you know, she's all singing all about, you know, kind of the role of women in relation to God and the Bible and how their stories are never told or they're told the wrong way. And it just sort of had the sort of outsider's perspective. God, sometimes you just don't come 
And, you know, I thought the music was great. Um, so it just kind of, all that rolled into the, all the books I was reading just mm. kind of led me into this, like, super moody, broody, uh, <laughs> gothic. I was, I didn't go full goth with, like, the makeup and the jewelry. Mm-hmm. That was still a bit too far, but I did grow out my hair. I got really skinny. <laughs> I had, I dyed my hair black. I, you know, so I wore baggy, dark clothes, um, and I kind of... I kind of went that direction, but, but to a point where it was still, you know, this is still a pretty conservative Idaho town. Um, so I couldn't go full goth, but I went as goth as I felt like I could. Mm -hmm. Um, and it felt great. And I met a whole new group of friends and they were all kind of in the same place and, you know, into the same books and music. And, um, I just, I kind of found a confidence that I hadn't felt before, um, which was really great. And but and also kind of a darkness too. It sounded like you needed something kind of yeah. Well, because I think for so many years I had been um, all this all of this sort of you know religious and conservative stuff drilled into me. I was kind of fighting against that and kind of rebelling against all of that, and really wanted to explore you know the darker side of myself. I obviously was having these sort of adolescent feelings that I didn't know what to do with attraction to boys that I thought I would grow out of. But at that point I was just sort of wrestling with and like, why do I feel this way? But I feel this way. And well, that wrestling um, must've felt very dark. Just that feeling. of Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was not pleasant, but I, d- I don't feel like I was as tortured about that. Uh, the gay thing at that point, I think it was sort of just being a teenager was there was, there were so many other things going on that I was like, yeah, I'll get into girls. I'm just, you know, not quite there yet Mm. or i'll figure that out or whatever but in the meantime i'm gonna just keep devouring these books and drawing these dark moody drawings oh yeah what were you drawing i've always drawn dinosaurs so from a very young age i was drawing dinosaurs and that's kind of a concession uh, an obsession that continues to Mm -hmm. this day but at that point i was drawing i was getting into drawing like crows and moody people on like dark moors with skeletal trees and you know just I was trying to emulate the mood of all the books and the TV and the movies I was watching and anything that was like horror related and like bloody corpses and creatures. And, you know, I don't know the Clive Barker. He's always like, he was very into these sort of morbid mutant humanoid creatures. And I was always sort of drawing that stuff. And that was a way I was like to get a, to get attention. I would draw these really, kind of out there crazy dark creature things and um people would like oh you're oh you're good at drawing and oh look at that that's great and so i was getting this sort of positive reinforcement from that stuff where people also like oh boy this is morbid yeah and i and i kind of got i got a kick out of kind of freaking people out a little bit Mm. but i still wanted to be liked you know Mm -hmm. i was i was always sort of walking that line between i want to be liked by people but i also want to like freak them out a bit and get a little bit of attention, but not to the point where they're like, you gross, stay away. Like I want to freak them out enough that they want it. They're like, Ooh, I want to, I want to get closer and understand more what they're intrigued. Yeah. I want to intrigue them and draw them in. Um, 
Yeah. And very much in the same way that, that Lestat does. He's got a very... Yeah, a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. He's, he's so he's kind of mysterious, and you feel this like energy about him. Yeah. Like, oh, my, he's got he's all these secrets, and he's this portal into another world. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, maybe I was. Well, also the, um, you know, at the time, the uh, Nine Inch Nails were a really big thing. And I was sort of, Trent Reznor had that vibe that I was kind of relating to. Very, I guess would be similar to a Lestat sort of vibe. But um, It's a fearlessness. Yeah. Well, and just this sort of raw, raunchy, defiant energy that was is just sort of like, this is how I am or how I feel. And fuck you if you don't like it. Um, and I was never really that person, mm. but I always kind of wanted to be. And so I think I was sort of, that was sort of my model for, <laughs> what was the, what was the, this is how I feel and fuck you that, that you had? Like, what did you have something that you wanted to express that you just were like, nah, but... I don't know that I did. I think I wanted to, I don't think I really had a lot to be angry about. Um, but I think I was just, I did have a lot of anger, but I wasn't quite sure what it was about. And now thinking about it, I think it, some of it might have been a bit of a put on. Um, I had a pretty good life, you know? I mean, despite all the kind of angsty stuff, um, I don't, you know, I didn't really have a lot to be angry about. And did you have any other depictions of gay or there any other gay people around you at the time? I, you know, my only real experience with gay was you know, up until the vampire books was, it was just, it was a bad thing. Um, up until, um, a few, my grandparents had a couple of friends who were lesbians and they were, you know, they were kind of around and in the circle and I was sort of introduced to them and, and it took me a while to really catch on to what was going on. But then, you know, when I asked about it, um, and this was the side that was very kind of like, they were always very, they were very clear that this is okay. Like this is not a bad thing. Um, and this is how they are and they love each other and they're two women and that's fine. Uh, you know, I was sort of raised in two different worlds and that I was from one end from the sort of the, the religious Bible evangelical side, I was getting this sort of, this is bad. This is evil. This will make you go to hell. These are sinners. And you know, this is terrible. And then from the other side, from my mom's side, I was getting this, like, this is fine. People are people. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying, I can't even think of the first gay person I met probably in probably in middle school or high school. Um, and they were, you know, the, they were def- definitely the outsiders and they were the people that were a little, they were very brave. I remember being very impressed by if, they were, students, if they were out yeah. and they were like not hiding it, the, maybe because they couldn't hide it. But I was always like, damn, you're really brave. <laughs> and I wish I could, I wish I could do that. Um, I didn't, I don't know that I could articulate that at the time. But I'd always really admired that. Um, and were you out to yourself? No, no, not at all. Um, I had the feelings, you know, I, I knew I was attracted to boys and I would think about boys a lot and I would definitely have crushes on my friends. So you just kind of put that away and you're like, oh, but, you know, dating girls, I, you know, I've got these feelings, but it doesn't mean anything. But I also wasn't that interested in girls, you sure. know, <laughs> it was sort of like I would hang out with girls and at this point girls were attracted, you know, I was getting attention from girls, which felt great. And mm-hmm. this was again, part of the sort of 
you know, emo goth thing where I was like, I was getting attention and it felt amazing, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really want to reciprocate it. You know, I would make out with girls and I would, we'd kind of do a fool around thing, but I would never want to take it very far. I would always stop it before it got too intimate. And Mm -hmm. I would sort of in, in, I I would like to, in my own mind, I like to think of it that I, I was being a gentleman and I was being respecting boundaries. So it was easy for me to kind of walk away and be like, no, we're not ready. Mm-hmm. It's okay. We don't have to do this right now. <laughs> but what really is going on is you're like boring. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and and being a little confused about that. Mm. Um, I was like, why don't I like this? I really am not. I, don't, <laughs> I mean, I didn't hate it. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know this is supposed to feel good and it doesn't feel bad, but it's not really doing anything for me. Mm-hmm. So... And yeah. it just didn't occur to you, like, oh, well, maybe boys. Maybe these guys that I've been looking at this whole time. Yeah, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't quite make that leap. Mm-hmm. Um, Even with, you know, because a lot of the sort of gothy stuff of that time had a sort of gender fluidity that... It did, absolutely. And and I definitely gravitated toward that. And mm. Oh, um, and what, so did you have things that you're, like, resonating with? Well, definitely the... Um, you know the nine inch nails thing. Mm-hmm. I, I remember, and I don't. I don't know if this is actually true. I just remember at the time there was all of this stuff about like how Trent Reznor was bisexual, and he would, you know, uh, kind of there. Maybe he did a thing with Marilyn Manson, and who knows? And I, I have no idea if that ever was true. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea of it, and I like the idea of that sort of. It was all wrapped up in his sort of rocker defiance about like no boundaries. Fuck you. I can fuck guys. <laughs> it's not gay, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think there was that, it's that idea of like, what? I can fuck guys. It's not gay. <laughs> that I was really like, okay, yeah, I can be into guys, but that's not gay. Mm-hmm. I can have a huge crush on my best friend, but I'm not gay. So it was just that word and that, and you know, all of the sort of cultural trappings of like, I thought of gay as swishy and gay as being a, a certain type, mm-hmm. the sort of the stereotype that I did not feel I was, and I was not particularly attracted to that at the time. So I was just like, well, what I, you know, I'm thinking about boys right now, but it's not gay, but I'm not swishing. So it's fine. Totally. Yeah. And I definitely tried, I think I was a really swishy kid and I tried to butch it up, Mm -hmm. uh, definitely through adolescence and stuff because I kept getting called gay fag queer when I was growing up because I was, I was a bit of a, yeah, I was a bit of a swishy sissy boy. Mm -hmm. Um, so I kind of got that beaten out of me a little bit. And, uh, you know, it comes back now, which I'm happy to, mm-hmm. I'm happy to drag out. But, um, yeah, at the time it was just like, well, that's not me. So that's, that's okay. As long as I'm pushing it up, but you know, in a way that's still like, I still want to be an emo goth, but kind of straight acting, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Right. <laughs> straight acting emo goth. Straight acting emo Sensitive. goth. Sensitive. And I was very cool about other, you know, the friends who were gay. I was absolutely like, yeah, I, I had the people around me and I was totally cool with it. And I made, an, I made a point to show how cool I was with it. But really the whole time I was like, God, I wish I could kind of do that. But I can't because I just can't. So where were you when you found that you maybe you could? Uh, that point I was in college. Um, Where'd you go to college? Okay. So I went to Montana state in Bozeman Mm -hmm. and even bigger city, even bigger city. Um, and it was a, uh, it's a really great mountain town. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've been there. I've probably driven through. Okay. It's just beautiful. Montana is just so gorgeous. Yeah. It's, it's really gorgeous. And it was, it was far enough away that I felt like I could again, be, independent and mm. go to college. Did you want to reinvent yourself again? Or were you like, no, I'm good with who I am. Actually. Yeah. I mean, well, I was very excited about 
going to college and being an adult. I was very kind of that thing you've been waiting for career oriented. And I liked that idea. And I was just very like, it couldn't happen fast enough, but it was still a very, you know, still a conservative kind of cowboy place. And I, you know, you don't want to be too out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point I still wasn't very out to myself, but I think when I finally kind of just surrendered to it was, I think it was the summer after my freshman year. And we, I, again, I had developed a crush on a friend my, my freshman year and had been very angsty and <laughs> emotional and weird about it in a way that I was like, I don't understand why I'm so into this person. Like I get sad when he's gone. I think about when I see him next, uh, you know, what is, what the fuck? Right. Meanwhile, I'm like turning down girls and I'm, you know, I'm kind of deflecting some attention, you know, cause I was, you know, not bad looking. I was decent and I was getting, you know, I'm making friends and things. And I just was like, not into, not into these girls, but I'm kind of like longing for this friend of mine. You know, we're watching a lot of movies. Cause it's like, what do you do in the summer when you're a freshman in college? Nothing. So we just watched a ton of movies and I was like, we were in this like Ewan McGregor phase mm -hmm. and I'd always had a thing for Ewan McGregor and we were watching a, it was like velvet goldmine and the pillow book and a bunch of these movies where he's like full frontal nude. And I was like, it is. Yeah. Curious and wonderful. I mean, it's a gift to the world that he's absolutely. given us. That he's it so just, eager to take his clothes he's off. He's so eager. And so like, and the, those movies were very kind of not overtly queer, but kind of, queer-ish mm -hmm. and he's very oh, Velvet fluid. Goldmine. Velvet Goldmine is definitely queer. The Pillow Book, I don't even remember anything about that movie except he was naked in it a lot and yeah. I was really into that. Well, describe the context there. Uh, with the movie? Yeah. And, well, I mean, what's, what's going on in the movie? I don't remember. <laughs> I, I honestly that's don't the, remember. That's the body painting one where... Oh, okay. And it's Japanese. Yeah. It's set in Japan. And she's, it's been a long time since I've seen it. And she's doing like, she's looking for, it's this woman who's looking for a lover who she wants to do calligraphy on their bodies. Yeah. And there's, so there's always a reason for someone to be naked. Right. Right. Um, and that was glorious. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was also when the Paul Rudd movie with Jennifer Aniston, he did a movie in like the late nineties. And so it was like a few years old by this point. Where he's like the gay best friend. Oh, uh, I can't believe I forgot and the name of it. And I can't remember the name of it. But at this point, it's like Paul Rudd. He's fucking adorable and attractive and cute. And he's just like, yeah, I'm gay. I'm Paul Rudd, whatever. And I was like, oh my God. Sometimes no relationship is more desirable. What about Vince? But he's not home to me. You are. No person more irresistible. I want you to be with me. I want you to love me the way that I love you. Than the one you can't have. I'm so sorry. But I don't, I don't want to lose you. So that was object of my affection. Yes. Okay. And... Yeah, I think it was a few years old by then, but it was, you know... And so it's him uh, as just gay best friend of Jennifer Aniston. She's in love with him. She's in love with him. He is, I think, through the whole movie, is pretty openly gay. And yeah. it's just like, no, girl, I'm gay. But they, you know, they're the gay best friends, and they do all things. And, and he's having a boyfriend, and she gets sad when he finds a boyfriend. Did you see that? And you were like, that's the life I want. Well, it was so... That was so great, because it was like Paul Rudd, who's fucking adorable, and... Not there's no angst about it. There was no angst about him being gay. <laughs> You're like, like, wait a minute, I don't have to be angsty. Yeah, because up until that point, all the depictions of gay men were it was you know angst, angsty, tortured, tragic, mm -hmm. and this was like 
no, dude, I'm gay. It's cool. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going for this boyfriend. And his boyfriend was super cute. And it was just like, the the gay thing was not the issue in that movie. Mm. You know? It was just unrequited love. Yeah. And and it was just, I kind of had this like realization that like, wow, maybe I could just be gay and I don't have to be so fucking tortured about it. Or I don't have to live a life that is like cloistered in secrecy. Mm. Wow. And I think, so I, I came kind of to this conclusion over a course of weeks and I don't even remember there wasn't like a moment where but I was just like overall it was just this feeling that summer of like god damn it I'm into dudes I like dick I can't I can't lie to myself anymore like I don't want to marry a woman I don't want to date a woman I want to date a guy and then it was like holy shit what am I going to do now did you have a voice that was pulling you back from that and saying no 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 don't do this this is dangerous yeah, it, I did. Uh, it was the voice that was like, "How are you gonna? How are you gonna move forward? Like, you have no way of navigating this. You have no map. There's no point of reference." Um, Whose voice was it? I don't know. I mean, it was just my fear voice, I guess. It wasn't, it, and it wasn't a religious voice. It wasn't like a uh, "You're gonna burn in hell" voice. I'd long since given all that up. So it wasn't like a "You're wrong and this is evil" voice. It was just sort of a like, "This is scary." Like, this is terrifying. You know how to be straight and closeted. But if you go this way, it's going to be scary and different and it's going to change everything. But I was like, yeah, but I can't, I can't keep lying to myself. And it took me a very, very long time to come out to other people. Mm -hmm. So I really did have to kind of, I was pretty closeted for, you know, a good year after that. It took me six months before I could even tell my best friend. And even then it was like, I think I might be bi. Sure. The the way that, you know, I think a lot of guys do. Mm-hmm. It's it's the sort of safe tiptoe out of the closet. And I know that can be controversial because I do believe bi people exist. I just, I think a lot of gay guys tiptoe out that way. Were you able to date there? Because, I mean, Bozeman, College Town, but still yeah. not. It's not, it's no Greenwich Village. No, I know. It was, it, yeah, it was difficult. I was pretty much celibate for the first mm. two years of college. Um, I did not date. I did not know how to date. I didn't know how to go about it. Because, again, I was closeted i was still kind of trying to feel my way around it and tell my close friends i didn't have the first idea of how to go about finding another gay person in this tiny college town not only is there the sort of anxiety about thinking somebody might be gay and being wrong and open you know you make yourself vulnerable when you say make a pass at somebody and you're wrong about it mm. but in a call in a small college town the risk of then that person knowing somebody I didn't want to out myself and then have that get back to people. I wasn't ready to be out to. I was sort of paralyzed with fear mm. um, at that point. And then I decided to do a semester abroad. I wanted to go to England. I loved England. I wanted to do a, a friend of mine had done that and had a really amazing experience. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that because I was sort of feeling that need to reinvent myself again and have a different experience and, live in a big city and have the school pay for it or, you know, pay for it through my student loans. So in the context of college, I I thought that was a really safe, exciting way to go about that. Um, I decided to uh, take a year off, go to England. You could be a new Levi again. I could be a new Levi. I decided if I did, I was going to be out and I was going to be open and 
not drag any of that other baggage with me. Did you have any need for the for the darkness, for the goth stuff, or did you find that kind of falling away? I kind of left that back in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and even by the end of high school, I was kind of, I was over that. I would sort of moved on to, what did I moved on to? I, just more serious things, I feel like. I, I'd sort of, I was still really, really into Tori and Nine Inch Nails and all of that, but I had sort of, my visual, <laughs> my visual aesthetic had changed uh, I was much more sort of clean cut and I guess it was kind of normal, normal looking in quotes, mm-hmm. um, just much more approachable. So it sounds like you're kind of adapting to being an adult, the thing that you wanted to be this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And your way of doing that was, well, a couple ways. One is, you know, getting more in touch with just how the world is, but also getting more in touch with, you're getting more in touch with who you are. Yeah. Right. Understanding that I can, um, you know, be really into something, uh, whether it be you know music or books or film, and not necessarily have to create myself in its image, or, um, or gay without having to create or yourself. Gay, in that image. Fig- yes, yeah. exactly. One of the books that kind of changed my life at this point was *The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay*, which is a gigantic novel by Michael Chabon. Uh, came out, I believe, in early 2000, 2001. I found it on a trip to Seattle, and this is actually another um, interesting uh, relationship I have with Seattle, um, because at the time, um, my best friend, who um, is a woman who's also gay, lived in uh, Moscow, Idaho. She was going to University of Idaho, and we had stayed in touch after college and became really close, and so we would plan these trips to Seattle, but we'd come out to Seattle for a trip at some point for like a week. And, you know, we were two country kids going to the big city and it kind of blew our gay minds Mm -hmm. in the, like, we're coming to this beautiful green city that's full of gay people and we couldn't believe it. And, you know, we're like going to our place and feeling like, Oh my God, this is it. People are just like gay out in the open here. This is where we want to be. This is amazing. I, I discovered this book, on one of my trips to Seattle. Mm-hmm. And this is after I'd sort of come out to myself and I'd kind of come out to a few people and I was like, Oh, it's about comics is which, which I was really getting into at the time. And I was doing a lot of illustration in college. And so I was like, this is kind of in my wheelhouse. Yeah. So what is the book about? Uh, it's, it's about, uh, two cousins who create a superhero comic in the 1930s. And it's, it's very kind of loosely based on the creators of Superman, but it's it's they've created this whole new character called the escapist and he is um essentially trying to rescue people from bondage and oppression and this is pre-world war ii and one of the characters has just escaped from prague and his family has been you know sent to the camps but he's escaped to new york and he's staying with his cousin and so this is when comics are really big in new york city in the 30s and so they create this comic character as a way of making money and for the for the one character it's a, it's his way of like essentially working out his aggression toward the Nazis and fighting the war essentially through comics and the frustration that comes from that and sort of the sense of you know powerlessness and there's a lot more to it but there was a uh, one of the characters is gay. It's a very long, slow process. You don't really get. It's not. It's not um, telegraphed at the beginning. It's. It's. You kind of figure it out with him, and it's not very obvious. And there's a point at which there's an object of his affection who you're like, as a reader, you're like, ooh, I like this guy. I kind of mm, right, and your suspicions are confirmed at a point where his suspicions are confirmed, and it all comes together in just this sort of wonderfully romantic amazing way 
that kind of blew my mind. And there, as a reader, it was just very satisfying because you, you know, relating to that, the experience of desiring somebody, having a crush on somebody, but being afraid to, you don't know if they're into you. And also you don't even know if they're gay. And at that point I, I was very familiar with this feeling of like, I like this boy. I think he's straight, but I don't know for sure, but I'm terrified of finding out one way or another. And so reading this book and having these characters kind of confirm each other's affections in such a way, it was just, oh, it was amazing. And then, you know, it, it, it continues after that to become this just really amazing, kind of wonderful, sad love story. It, it kind of confirmed my determination to do this study abroad and be honest with everybody when I did it, when I was like, I'm going to go to England and I'm not going to hide who I am. I also want to talk about the comics that you were reading when you were in your dark gothic phase. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. So when I was a teenager and I was, I was listening to a lot of Tori Amos and Nine Inch Nails, um, I had some friends introduce me to the Sandman mm-hmm. comic books. And this was kind of a revelation because I had read comics as a kid. My, all my little he- He-Man toys came with a little comic book, which was really cool. Um, but I'd given it up. You know, it's, it's kid stuff. I was never really super into like the superhero comics or the Marvel mm-hmm. comics or anything, but somebody lent me a copy of one of the Sandman books and I was blown away. I, I just thought it was amazing because it was, it was a comic, but it was about, you know, this dark brooding Gothic character. What's the premise? The premise is, uh, the main character, the Sandman is dream and he, uh, is one of seven, what, what the hell is her name? Endless. Endless, thank you. I was like, undead? No. <laughs> they, yeah, he's one of the seven endless. and um, Basically these mythological figures. Mythological yeah. figures. Like desire. And, yeah, and, desire, despair, death, destiny. I'm missing one. Uh, yeah. Delirium. Yes. Um, uh, yes. Okay. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, it's this sort of, it's, it's essentially, it's a comic book based on these sort of mythical ideas. And it's sort of woven in with classic literature and pop culture and it just sort of had all of these different elements to it and it was very literary in a way that I had never seen done in a comic and um, it was just right up my alley at the time Mm. you know and then doing a little digging I discovered that Neil Gaiman and Tori Amos were really good friends and I was so into that idea and that Delirium was partially based on Tori Amos and I was like oh my god (laughs) all my creative forces I'm in heaven and um, (laughs) and it's a really long series too it's like this extensive series of comics yeah it's like you know years and years and it's like 12 volumes and Mm -hmm. it's it's this just glorious meaty juicy long books it explores this part of being human that is kind of scary to look at sometimes yeah it's it's complicated and the characters it's not about it's good and evil but nobody's really good nobody's really evil what was it about that world that drew you in it was very it was so beautiful and so complex and multi-layered and there were you know even if there were particular storylines i didn't really you know resonate with i was like there's, there were there would be different ones that I thought were just really amazing and incredible, and there would you know the flashback issues where he would like um, go back and be in a you know a Shakespeare play. There was one particular Midsummer Night's Dream where it's essentially that story rewritten as if uh, the character Dream had been the impetus behind. Thank you. Yeah, the, the Shakespeare play. It. Yeah. Um, and and there were these all these callbacks to that. Again later there was one called The Tempest in which he's coming back to Shakespeare at the very end of his life and he's sort of influencing uh, Shakespeare writing The Tempest and it was just I was just so impressed by 
how he would bring in all of these different elements of history and culture and mythology uh, and wrap them all together. Was there a piece of it that you were like, I, this is a world I want to live in? Yeah. Uh, and I thought, you know, once I, once I kind of realized that, oh, this is what comics can do. This is what you can do with this form of storytelling. It doesn't all have to be superheroes and tights. I was like, oh, okay, I'm into this. I want to kind of make this stuff or I want to be part of this. You felt like you had a story that you wanted to tell. And- yeah, or that I could if I wanted to. And this, you know, I was always very into, you know, drawing and art. And that was really my kind of my calling, I felt like. And it sort of brought things together in a way that I had been, didn't know I had been waiting for. So it was, yeah, it was a huge influence. Did it feel like that was a, a way that you could be honest? Like you could be honest on the page through your art in a way that you couldn't in real life? Yeah, and I felt like, you know, a lot of artists do that. Um, you kind of say the unsayable through your artwork. Um, what did you say? <sighs> I didn't say anything particularly gay, I have to be honest. I was I'm, I was very closeted in my art as well, I mm. think. Until fairly recently, I think. I haven't really explored gay themes in my artwork until until I was in my mid-twenties, probably. But up until then, I was still, you know, still a little bit hesitant to put it out there. What was your art like? Like, what did you draw? I was doing comics, and I did a, um, I did a comic about uh, Franz Kafka in Prague um, as a, uh, essentially as an old man who'd never, who'd never died. And he had, the, the idea being that Prague had this sort of underbelly that was unseen by everybody else um and had sort of been left alone during all of these years of that's very neil gaiman right yeah i was very very influenced by sandman for sure um and it will never see the light of day (laughs) when you were getting used to the idea of drawing for storytelling and 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 using uh illustration to to craft something more narrative how much of yourself were you initially putting into that work not a lot i wanted to tell Stories that didn't have to do with me and that I wasn't part of. Did that change over time? It did. After my, after my experience in England, when I lived there, um, I came back and did more of an autobiographical story about that experience and kind of the ups and downs of that. Um, well, let's talk about that. So what was your, yeah. what was your England experience like? So this is, uh, I had decided that I was going to England, I was going to come out, and before I left, I... I was staying with my mom and she lived on the Oregon coast at the time. So I was, you know, there for a couple of weeks before we all um, took off and I decided this was it. I'm going to come out to my mom. And I did. And it was, you know, very nerve wracking and uh, scary. And I worked myself up to it and she could not have been happier. So I thought it was going to be this huge emotional thing. And she was like, oh my God, that's so great. I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud. I, I was wondering if, you know, I'm so glad you didn't decide to wait your whole life and live in this way and blah, blah, blah. Like she wanted to throw a parade. Like mm-hmm. she was so excited. And I didn't know how to deal with this because I had come up with all of these other scenarios that went completely the opposite way. Right. Oh, it's the so, end of my life. How can yeah. you do this to me? Or just like, okay, if I'm going to get cut off right before I go to England, I guess, you know, <laughs> that's not, yeah, not that that was that really a possibility, yeah. but I just, that I had this thought that like, if I, if I'm going to go, if anything happens to me while I'm in England, I just want somebody to know before I go that this is who I am. So I just had this great response and it was really wonderful. And, um, she was like, well, that's amazing. So I have this coworker who has a gay son and he's in town this week. You guys should get together for lunch. And I was like, okay, <laughs> thanks mom. <laughs> thanks mom. 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, cause I had nothing better to do at this point. Like I was out of school. I was kind of waiting to, to go somewhere else. And, uh, so yeah, sure enough, we have this double date with our moms at a, you know, at a diner in this tiny Oregon coastal town and we hit it off immediately mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of are making eyes at the table where our moms are sitting and we're just like, wow, you're really cute. I, I really like you. And it was so exciting to just be introduced to somebody in that context and be like, you're gay, I'm gay, we both know it. So we've cut that out of the equation. Like, all that ambiguity is gone. And, you know, it just led to like, hey, do you want to get together after work? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. And we spent the next three or four days together the entire time. Like, when he wasn't working, he was with me. Mm-hmm. And I fell really hard in love for him. And at the time, I didn't know that was what that was, but it was it was just very exciting, and I was very swept off my feet um, because he was showing me around, and we were having a great time, and I got to kiss my first boy and have it reciprocated, and it was just like it was it was the romantic experience I'd been waiting for. Where were you when you kissed? We were in the backyard of my mom's house, mm-hmm. and it was uh, at night, and we had um, and this was one of the things that had really impressed me. We had these plans for like hanging out in the evening and he was, he had just come over to my mom's house and my mom got off work and she came over and it turned out there were these friends of theirs that were coming over suddenly cause they'd forgotten they had dinner plans. And so, Oh my God, these people are coming over and what are we going to do? We have to hurry up and make dinner. And rather than being like, okay, I'm going to go. He was like, well, I'll help you guys. He just jumped in and helped make dinner and he was part of it and he stayed and he, it was just really impressive. And I was like, God, you like really stepped up. Like, and I also got the sense like, oh, you really want to hang out with me. Like Mm -hmm. you don't want to leave. That's awesome. And then afterwards, after everybody left and it was, you know, we kind of went out in the back and we're just enjoying the evening and then it happened under the tree and it was, it was great. Oh yeah. It was super sweet. And it just, yeah, it was all those things that you wanted it to be. And then you're like, bye. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm going to England. See you. Um, it was it was kind of painful. This had been my first experience with a, with a guy. And now I'm going away for a year. And uh, I thought I was, I really wanted to go unattached and kind of start fresh. And I thought this might be it. You know, I was going away for a year and I didn't want him to wait. I didn't, you know. So I just kind of went and to my surprise we stayed in touch and he really wanted to stay in touch and then was like sending me packages and love letters. And it was, it was just really, uh, quite wonderful. Um, especially, you know, going to England as a new, you know, I was by myself, didn't know anybody. It was just a little scary. And so having that, that connection back home was really comforting. Mm. And so, you know, I could go to the payphone and call him at some weird ass time in the morning or I could come home and have a letter. And it just, it felt like, uh, it felt like being in love in a very dramatic and romantic way, you know, like, Oh, I fallen in love with somebody who lives across the world and here I am in England and Oh, the drama of it all. Um, (laughs) I was very into that. Um, I had a really amazing time in England and I made really good friends and, uh, but I still kind of had this, this thing. And so we planned on him coming over for Christmas and it kind of kept going. And so he ended up coming over and staying for like a month during Christmas. And it was great for about a day and a half. And then it started to fall apart because we didn't really know each other. Mm. (laughs) Our entire relationship had been this three day intense, you know, love fest. 
and then three months of long distance where you're only showing the best part of yourself and you're only talking about how much you miss each other and how much you think about each other. And then suddenly you're shoved into this place where you're together 24 hours a day and he's never been out of the country and England is dark and cold and rainy and kind of scary for him. And it was just like this, Oh God, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And now you're here for like three more weeks. Oh my God. That is a long visit. Yeah, it was a long visit. And, um, but I was very determined to make it work because we still were like, we still had this chemistry. Mm. But was it just the, the circumstances that weren't working or why did it start to fall apart? I think, I think it was, I think it was, it was just a matter of kind of us both kind of revealing who we were in that situation being so close to each other i think it was very stressful for him Mm. having never left the country um he had actually i think been going through a lot of emotional stuff when i met him that he'd done a really good job of kind of keeping under wraps um so i think it was just kind of overwhelming for him Mm. and it was overwhelming for me and there was just there had been this long gap in uh, seeing each other uh i was just so determined to make it work Mm -hmm. and i was like this is just a rough patch. You're just having a tough time. Once you, once you adapt, we'll work it out and we can, we can make this work, you know? And we were young. It's like 21, 22. And I'm like, I like, no, we're in it to win it. This is it forever. And whatever we have to do to get through this, I, you know, I had planned on being gone for a whole year. And by, you know, mid January, it was kind of clear, like he is going home. And if he goes home and I stay here, we're not going to make it. So if I want it to work, I kind of have to go back. Mm -hmm. At that point, I was actually a little disillusioned with London. It was a hard, it's a hard, expensive city to be in. And it's cold and rainy and dark at that point in the year. And I I just sort of, I'd kind of been defeated, I felt like, Mm -hmm. by this relationship and the situation, which had gone from this amazing, wonderful thing to this sort of sour, fraught we were fighting and it was just very, and I was like, well, the only way to solve this is to dig deeper into it. Like we're just going to have to get through it and we're going to get through it together. So I'm going to go home with you. This England adventure is over and I'm going to make this relationship work. I mean, you must've invested a lot in this because it was the first time that you'd had someone reciprocate these feelings. It's the yeah. first time you had a kiss. It's a, you know, it's yeah. a lot of firsts. It, it was a lot of firsts and it was, it was all the firsts. Mm-hmm. And that's why I felt like I'm never going to feel this way again. It, like everything about it up until that point had been like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. This is it. This is forever in the, <laughs> in the way that you can do when you're 21, 22. Uh, so, yeah, I did. I, I kind of cut bait and went back with him and, and it, it inevitably fell apart like pretty quickly after we got back. And I had, you know, basically taken off a semester of college where I was supposed to be in England and now I'm in Oregon working a hotel job trying to make this relationship work and you know ultimately i'm like i'm going back to school what are we gonna do and it was just like this is this isn't working so you know ultimately realized like yeah this was this was a bust so did you feel like you were just saying goodbye to your 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 last hope your first and last hope of having a relationship or actually by the time it was over i kind of realized like you're being a little silly like this isn't you're young this isn't going to be your only last relationship but letting go of the first relationship was still really difficult yeah so it was tough it was really hard and i did care a lot for him and he cared a lot for me but i think it was you know just that realization that like you don't have to be together forever Anyway, I went back to I went back to Montana to finish school 
And one of the long-term or sort of the longer comic stories that I wrote was about that experience. Um, and kind of that, the feeling of disillusionment, I was very disappointed in myself for having chosen this boy over this experience in England and, uh, was beating myself up a lot about it. So I was kind of expressing or Mm -hmm. kind of trying to work that out through my artwork. Well, you know, and it seems like that would have been a a time when just a few years earlier, you would really retreated into or found comfort in the, oh, the world is so dark and everything is so gothic and and windswept (laughs) and all the trees are bare. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's also, you know, that not to keep bringing it back to interview with the vampire, but it also, it reminds me ever so slightly of when Louis and Lestat kind of part ways, Yeah, you know, there's, there's a realization there of like, we aren't quite right for each other. Here. Yeah. We're not compatible. And we just, and we have to re- we just have to realize that and mm-hmm. let each other go. Looking back on it, it did kind of have that dramatic flair that mm-hmm. I've always loved. You know, it was a really great first love story. Mm-hmm. International. International. It, it was great. Um, and you must have felt like that, like, oh, my life is over. The world is ending. It was pretty devastating. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it was rough. And going back to Montana as a new person, I felt like I felt completely different when I got back to Montana. I was like, okay, I'm out. I've had this experience. I'm not hiding anymore. Things have changed. And well, how did, what was, what was the new Levi then? I was just much more open. And at that point I did kind of try to date people and I got involved in the queer group at the university and I met a lot of new friends because I was out and open and it just changed everything. And, and you're, I know, putting, you're putting yourself into your work now. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and having kind of the confidence to do that, having a little more experience, it felt really, it felt really good. And so those last couple of years were much, much better. Do you feel more honest? Um, much more honest, yeah. And just open. The way that things open up for you once you stop hiding mm-hmm. is, I know, a cliche, but it's absolutely true. Um, you know, you mentioned that you felt very lonely as a kid, and it sounds like you were starting to feel the exact opposite of that once you were... It, so- it sounds like you suddenly were surrounded by people, or at least you were, you were doing the work of finding the people that you wanted to be around, so you weren't lonely. Yeah, um, and, and being able to just have a better ability to find them, seek them out, um, know where to look for them. Did you still enjoy the same dark tone sort of stuff, but from more of like, I'm enjoying this. I don't have to live this sort of way. Yeah, I think I, I think I did. I think I still do to an extent. Um, I definitely enjoy a, a, you know, dark, dark book, dark tale. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it doesn't resonate in the same way it did when I was young. Um, I don't feel like, um, I kind of need that button pushed as often. If anything, I'm I'm kind of a little more uh, hesitant to go down a dark hole at this point in my life. Um, He's been there. Yeah, I've been there, and you know, I think there's yeah, there's a lot more to be had out in the world at this point um, for me. So I think my my um, interests are a little more slightly more optimistic at this point. So you finished up school, and then how did you make it to Seattle? Uh, I did end up getting a design job in Oregon. But it wasn't where I wanted to be. I always had wanted to be in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And the, the friend, Andrea, that I had uh, mentioned before, who we would make these road trips out to Seattle, she was finishing law school. And uh, she ended up getting a job in Tacoma. And so when she moved out here, we decided, okay, we need to, like, let's move in together. So I moved up here in with her. And then I ended up getting a job in Seattle. And so, yeah, we moved up here. And that was about eight years ago. Were you nervous about moving to like this is because this is the the big city. This is an actual big city. Yeah, this is the biggest city I've lived in for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
my husband would argue it's a small town. He's from New York, so he's like, oh, Seattle's a little tiny town. Well, so it sounds like things worked out for you pretty well in Seattle. Tell me about meeting your husband. Yeah, things have been great. So <laughs> I met my husband at the Cuff mm-hmm. um, on a on a Friday night. This was kind of a after I'd been off. Uh, I sort of just put myself back on the market dating wise after a, a a breakup. I'd kind of um, taken some time off to kind of some emotional space. And I decided, okay, I'm ready to go out there and date. I'm in Seattle now. I'm going to go have some fun and I'm going to like date around and I'm not going to do anything serious. And I sort of thought I would go through a slut phase, which Mm -hmm. I had never done before. And I was sort of looking forward to now that I was here. And, uh, yeah, I just sort of saw this guy on the dance floor and I was drunk enough to feel confident to kind of shimmy up and, we just started dancing, and then before I knew it, we were making out. And uh, after about 10 minutes of that, we decided to introduce ourselves and go have a drink. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we ended up going on a couple dates from there, and I was still kind of like, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know, we're having fun. He just came out of a long-term relationship. He wasn't looking for anything serious. And so we're like, well, okay, but this is fun for a while, like nothing serious. And uh, yeah, seven and a half years later... Here we are. Were you were you not optimistic that that it would go anywhere, and you just kind of caught off guard? Like I was a little caught off guard. I just uh, I had this I had this idea in my head that like I was gonna do the thing that I'd never gotten to do, which was date a bunch of people and have a lot of fun and not have a serious relationship for a little while. I was open to it, but I just wasn't expecting it. We we hit it off. I think we kind of had this sort of same discussion at some point where we were like, so I guess we're dating now. Yeah, I think so. Okay, this is cool. Yeah, we got married last summer. Ah. And it's been great. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything differently. So you still, it, it sounds like you had a real transition from, there was a period in your life where it was very much about the pessimism. Yeah. And through, you know, working through the Sandman stuff and the vampire stuff and Trent Reznor stuff, it sounds like the, the turning point there was, was the honesty of, of Cavalier and Clay. Yeah. Definitely. Did you find yeah. yourself gravitating more towards optimistic depictions of of stuff or op- stuff with a, with a light tone afterwards? Uh, not specifically, but definitely, I got out of the horror thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not really into horror anymore. Do you have a soft spot for it still? I, occasionally, I, I have a soft spot for gothic, spooky horror. Mm-hmm. Not really gory, like bloody horror. There was a movie recently with Daniel Radcliffe mm-hmm. where uh, the woman in black. I don't think it's a great movie. But it's like a gothic sort of haunted house story. And uh, he's, you know, sent to investigate the mystery of this house that's on an island in the, you know, darkest England. And uh, it's just really spooky and gothic and uh, not very satisfying, ultimately. But <laughs> but good atmosphere. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that, that's the most recent, I think, horror movie that I saw that I was like, okay, I'm into this. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically I don't gravitate toward it. Um, what do you gravitate towards? I'm, going, I'm really going through this phase where I'm kind of doing a lot of gay history now. Oh. I'm reading um, and watching a lot of gay biographies, documentaries, um, digging into... Yeah, the cultural history of the gay movement. Um, and I read, I recently read this book called The Secret Historian mm-hmm. about this tattoo artist in Berkeley and who he sort of ran the gamut of, um, he wrote a bunch of uh, pulp fiction novels and gay pulp sort of erotica in the 50s and 60s. And uh, he was just a really fascinating character. I'm working my way through And the Band Played On, which is 
a slog, mm-hmm. but it's, I feel like it's really well written. Um, it's actually written kind of like a thriller at the beginning. I don't know if you've read it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's quite amazing. Um, I'm now kind of bogged down in policy stuff right now, but, uh, I just think it's, it's, I'm, I'm really finding it interesting to kind of go back and learn my cultural history now that I've kind of gone through my own, you know, learning and growing everything. Through um, personal history. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm much more interested in the history of the, the gay rights movement and, uh, things like that. Are you finding like, Oh, these are my people. Yeah. And I, and I've absolutely felt that since I moved to Seattle. Um, I, I felt like I've always felt really welcome and comfortable here. Um, I'm not a very, I'm not, you know, I'm not a particularly exhibitionist or <laughs> flamboyant person, but I, I definitely, you know, in Seattle, I don't feel at all hesitant to hold my husband's hand or kiss him on the cheek and having grown up so kind of rigid and, always watching my back that just feels really good after so long to just be in a place where I don't really have to think about it and I know that's a privilege but it it feels really good and I know that it's a kind of a privilege that we fought for for a really long time yeah I wouldn't have thought I would have ended up here and and in such a good place and be so happy at this point in my life so I'm very grateful for that well thanks so much for joining me yeah thank you so much for having me it's been fun Thanks to Levi for joining me, and thanks to you for listening. And thanks to everybody who makes the Sewers of Paris possible on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash mattbaum to support the show and get back rewards. Check out my upcoming book, Hi Honey, I'm Homo, for a history of queer characters on American sitcoms. That's at gaysitcoms.com. Visit my YouTube channel for stories about pop culture at youtube.com slash mattbaum. And keep up with more of my projects through my weekly newsletter, which you can sign up for at mattbaum.com. The theme song for the Sewers of Paris is Parisian from filmmusic.io by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0. And until next time. Croissant. <laughs>